0: Crash chords podcast. Uh, we'll get right into what we've been listening to this week in our headphones. Um, me, I'm actually diverting from the status quo I've been listening to a lot of alternative and pop rock recently, but uh, this week in preparation for concert I'm seeing in a couple weeks, I've been listening to Death Clock's second album, Death Album 2. Um, Death Clock of course the band um, created for the popular TV show Metalocalypse um by comedian Brendan Small, who's also a very talented musician. Um it's very good. It's it's a lot more of the same with the first album, you know, very heavy death metal sound, fun and sometimes even very funny lyrics. Um, a lot of, you know, growling and screaming, but it but it's it's fun. It's it's a tongue in cheek uh imitation of death metal that's kind of taken on a life of its own and become death metal itself. Which which is which is always fun. Um also as per research for uh this week's oh, last week's song shot I did, um uh, Papa Roach's new single from their new album, The Connection. Um the single's called Still Swingin. Um, more or less your standard, more recent Papa Roach sound, heavy, almost hip hop influenced rock verses with a slowed down sung chorus. Um the video was very music video was very interesting because it had a post apocalyptic zombie kind of feel. Um but the whole video the character, the the main character of the video, is preparing to fight this group of zombies, and then you find out at the end of the video that the zombie he kills was his best friend because there's a photo of the two of them together. It was kind of, and so it it's was so it sad. Was a, yeah, it was sad and it was interesting. <laughs> the song was good. I, I like it. It was a very keep on going kind of hanging there
1: with zombies, on. which it's, is uh, once I I feel like uh, using zombies in a music video is sort of like using the Fraggles it's just going to do better yeah. because of that. Yeah, Zombies have permeated pop culture pretty big, yeah. Well, they've been in pop culture for a very long time, but now... Not as mainstream as they are now. I know, when I mean, you start getting like... Ever... Uh, I forget the band who does it. I think it, it was ever song... since
2: that that zombie handbook. Yeah. Actually. The zombie survival uh, yeah. guy? That, uh, like, there's so many Mel people Brooks's now that are just Sunroad. so ready for a largely like
1: fictional catastrophe. Well, I believe that the zombie apocalypse is coming, and that yeah, year... is... not. <laughs> well, no, not. Uh, Realistically I, I, Sorry <clears throat> Yes I, I yes, do in fact I, Believe in zombies Of course Yes <laughs> um, But not unicorns No RE <laughs> Your Brains Who wrote that song Oh um, Jonathan Colton Yeah That that was a hysterical song That really Is actually starting To gain a lot of popularity uh, Which I, I love that's a, that's a great song And it's, it's, it's From the zombie point of view It was really nice Yeah um I we're anyway. going to
2: get this zombie banter at some point. Might as well now's better anyway. time ever. Well, anyway.
1: I uh, was uh, I was listening to Dropkick Murphys, uh Bowling for Soup, Less Than Jake. I was listening very nostalgic my high school type of music, uh, late high school, early college what I was really into back then. Hmm. Um and I mean, I listened to a lot of fun music back then. Uh Blink, Weezer during their uh Weezer no kidding. Weezer? No, during, during their most. <laughs> um, really, when Weezer started getting kind of rude, which was, I, I think, their the most fun time. This Justin? John likes Weezer. I know. Um,
2: Justin. No. In case I, you didn't know. Actually, I wasn't listening Fresh to Weezer. News. I
1: wasn't listening to Weezer. I was listening to other nostalgic groups that I associated with in that time of my life. Plus, I've been dying to find my old Jet Set Radio Future album, which right. is one of my favorite soundtracks from a video game.
0: Because they used a lot of alternative and pop it's, and techno it was, music. Yeah, yeah, no, it
1: was techno, rock, pop, indie, alt, jazz. I mean, there was everything in it. It was a really, really awesome album. And it was a very
0: artistic game. Cell shaded. It was very. You had to run around uh, on roller skates, tagging, and it was. It was very kind of like. But the, visceral the, mus- the music just fit yeah. that
1: game so perfectly. I, I I uh. And they're remaking the original Jet Set Radio. With the original music. Which, which are already made. on Xbox Live. Oh, uh, have they released the soundtrack yet?
2: Oh, uh, I don't know. Because I'm going to have to get that. Yeah. No, but it is on Xbox Live, the, the re-release. I'm jealous. I'm going to shamelessly repeat myself this week. It's oh, yeah. just more Yes. So really? much more Yes. The album is, well, specifically the Yes album, although I like, probably spent at least a couple months on Fragile, but now I'm like thoroughly into the Yes album. It's just stuck in my car stereo. Yeah. Like, I'm not taking it out.
1: Uh, I thought it was physically stuck, like you hit the button in a stage. No, it was
2: for a while, and I was okay with that. Yeah, like the Proclaimers, I I met your mother,
1: (laughs) and I would walk, and that's all we can can afford. Oh, (laughs) gosh.
0: All right, well, uh, moving on to our album of the week, uh, our album review of the week. This one was my pick, uh, for better or for worse. It was No Doubt's newest album, Push and Shove. Um, A new No Doubt CD had been a long time coming. Um, Gwen Stefani had had a couple solo records. And uh, I guess we'll just get right into it. um the first track on the album was the single "Settle Down," which i I already knew going in because I had heard previously, but I know John and Steve had not um it was an It's an interesting song it's It's a very more mild version of their reggae sound from rock This
1: was a combination of three different songs that didn't quite marry to one another. The the intro was very intriguing, very nice, very orchestra-oriented, had nothing to do with the actual sound, and the actual song had nothing to do with the outro. It was weird song that way. It settled Down itself had a nice, fun beat, but there was just nothing in the beginning and nothing in the end that linked the whole song together.
2: I'll tell you, I was having a hard time pinning down this band, because... Uh... This is another one of those bands that... I guess it's on the joke. Where was Steve for the 90s? I I I'd never really heard them. I mean, I've heard the name, but I never actually heard what they have done. Um, I was kind of, I suppose, intrigued, but it also seemed a little retro. Even with, you know, their more recent albums, I still think, like, it is very much 90s ska. Uh, but then, as soon as this album started, the intro is nothing like it. The intro is this, you know, one of those beautiful, swooping, gorgeous... Uh, Expositions, which just drops down into a pop song. And, uh I don't know. I I'm okay. I just think it's getting a little bit passé to do the the really big, gorgeous exposition. I mean, I like it, but only in context. This is one of those uh, courtesy intros. An intro for the sake of being grand.
1: It's not something you would have seen on, uh... Well, no, it, it is something you could have seen on something by, like, Modest Mouse... And good news for people of bad news. That album had a lot of that sort of intro, but it did bleed into the song. This, that was a quirkier album, though. They could get away with a little bit more. Yeah, they they, this... they, they branded themselves as a sort of a sporadic group. And this, but this is they, a they're... very quirky intro for the album that really doesn't fit the quirkiness. There there is no quirkiness in the album by comparison. Not so much, no, no. Um, but. That being said, "Settle Down" was very—it was a listenable song. It's reggae. Well, it's reggae I didn't really yeah. enjoy it one way or the other, but I didn't find myself disappointed with it. That's the thing. In Re- any way. Reggae
2: as a whole, and I—I I, I will make this generalization that reggae is one of those you like it or you don't. Um, if it appears, you're either going to be intrigued or you're not. It's just something to groove to. It's
1: not—it's not. There's not—it's not terribly involved, really. Okay. I'm going to make a sweeping statement too, because we're all oh. going to do it today. All right. So reggae go is down. unsophisticated, and that doesn't lend itself. Unsophisticated in its complexity. It's in, very terms of
2: in terms of drums,
1: the the beat you find, the, to beat. Be very you find the beat. Once
2: you find it, that's your groove. You're gonna be there
1: for a lot for a while. It's a very specific type of beat for each song. They don't really deviate too much from it, though they get inventive with the rest of it. It could be a fun thing to jam to. Yeah, I mean,
2: I've done that before on piano. It's fun, but really, you know, <laughs> when it makes its appearance on an album and you're ready to look at it critically, it it is just a take it or leave it kind of thing. And uh, I don't know, that's about all I could say for it. I know that that's the the groove that No Doubt has settled on, uh, Matt, you said, in their last few albums. Just their last album and this one.
0: Their last album, they kind of went from, as a band, they evolved from their self-titled, which was very very ska, then their Tragic Kingdom, their second album, which was one of their biggest selling albums, I believe, um, which uh, was very kind of pop punk, borderline punk, and then... Uh, Return to Saturn was a little quirkier, but still riding that line of pop-punk. And then Rocksteady was very heavy reggae and pop. And then this, this album also seems very, at least at this point on the album, Settle
1: Down was very pop pop kind of reggae sound. Reggae beats set to a pop singing style and pop instrumentation. Yeah.
2: See, this, this is my issue. It's so all across the board there. Yeah. I mean, it, it it is kind of one of those fusion bands. Well, they, which, which, you know, that does say a lot. They're trying to bring two things together. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm just... I think okay. they chose two very static things to fuse together. And That's That, my that was
1: actually very evo- uh, evident in Looking Hot. The second which, track. Which, the, I really... That was a terrible starting beat. I really did not enjoy it. It did become better. Well, it was another unrelated intro. Yeah. didn't and, last and for it was, quite as
2: long, but
0: still unrelated. And the song was just very out of place even for the rest of the album. Even though it had, like, some of the beats had similarities as a song. It was a very disjointed kind of song and it was very out of place even on the record.
1: It, it was very battling transitions. Like, the transitions did not flow. They were, they were jumping a little bit too far back and forth. But each transition that it made in, in the song was just kind of tired beats. It was very standardized popped and or reggae beats. And instruments that really didn't speak to me, but they just didn't flow them either. I mean it was you can have simplistic and tried and true and still make it sound good, which yeah. actually they did in a few songs here that they, they, they did a couple of very nice songs that really had very simplistic style <laughs> but that's good. this one was not well what's funny is that you made a comment to me earlier that uh,
2: you were hoping I would not notice that the, um, the disconnection between um in you know, a lot of the verses and choruses and intros and... And the and, melody and, and with the rest of it. You know. were hoping I wasn't going to notice that because uh, lyrically, I suppose it ties together. <laughs> lyrically,
1: lyrically, I found um, Settle Down, Looking Hot, and even One More Summer in the next tra- track to be very vapid in its ah, still depth. Still vapid, huh? Yeah. Right. Uh, vapid, I think, is the most so you, accurate word. So you were hoping I was going to save it with something musical. Yeah, maybe. Um... <laughs> I don't know. It, it, I, I didn't really feel Gwen was going the full distance in this album. I felt her solo stuff, actually, so far, by comparison, has been better than this.
0: Mm, I disagree. The first solo album was good. The second solo album was forgettable. And I feel like even Settle Down was more memorable than her entire second solo album.
2: Well, I'll say it here. There are moments coming up where they do break free of uh, of their pattern. But... As far as per- first impressions are concerned, I don't think it's a very strong intro to the album.
0: Um, no, yeah, the first two tracks definitely weren't great. Um, they they didn't start getting my attention until track five or six, but but track three, One More Summer, was at least all, was better made than the first uh, two it had, tracks. It had yes, much higher levels that.
1: of production. The synth... Uh, that they used Which became a theme They're using a lot of synth In their songs 80's style synth Yeah To be specific But this synth Really mixed well With their drum beats Really complimented it And the lyrics were Once again it, While Not very You know Good I did like Gwen's voice uh, I
2: think it had she, A pr- She had a great
1: melody. longing In her voice That really complimented The actual beat
2: Yeah And it was a It was a pretty melody I think It was just I don't know, something about it, just kind of, I, I was attached to it in some way. It's, perhaps it's a little bit of her voice, it's a little bit of the writing of the melody itself, but that was definitely the uh, the real key thing in the song here. That was the only thing promoting me, really, for it.
0: Well, the play devil's advocate, though, on this song, which would be a change for once, um, <laughs> is... The lyrics were just kind of your basic "one more summer, I wish we had more time." No, that's
1: that's what I mean. And,
0: and John had said but that too. 80s. That's the eighties. That's the eighties. No, that so many times in the eighties that eighties. Yeah. Yeah.
1: got a warmth to it. it I feel. Does. Like, oh yeah, they never really. Okay, stopped I feel like, like in like 2000 BC, Ugg was chanting these same exact okay, lyrics. All right, all right. Good point. Good this point. is this is almost a story of mankind.
0: But to be, but to be fair,
1: oh so it's grand.
0: To be fair, though, even though the lyrics were a little simplistic and and. Predictable. Oh, she had be- she
1: has beautiful voice. That's, for the it, song. that's it. That's and that it. And that
0: message is the message is. Pre- I mean, those emotions are predictable. If you want, wish you had more time. I mean, there's not much more you can say about that subject.
2: Melody and yeah. voice. Yeah. Melody and voice are the key things here. Yeah, yeah. That's, lyrics are bleh, they're there. Yeah.
1: Now here's here's where the next song, push and shove.
2: I think my eyes crossed while we were listening to it. This was <laughs> I really did not expect it. in This slightest.
1: Oh, it was two separate songs that were chopped up and tried to put together. It was a. All right. Well, well <laughs> okay. let, me, let me do this in order. Let me do this in order. Okay.
2: <laughs> I was granted my eyes crossed, but I was attracted to the main theme. No. Oh, yeah. The A section I thought was incredibly catchy. It was. This a- was good. this was a strong point in the album for me as far as a club track. Yeah. But. I really think the people should be honest about what they do. I think that if you're going to go for a club track, think about how it's going to cater itself on the dance floor. People want to groove to that for a while. They want to keep with it, and it was really, really catchy. But, but, but way too Steve. fleeting. Yeah.
1: Steve, yeah. Wh- where was the? Where, where was B side? What was B side? B side. Slow dance. B side. Yes. A slow dance. It was junior your so, prom sending up every single person
2: in in this really uh this really edgy club here right they're they're dancing they're just showing off some really fancy moves here cuz i think you you actually could come up with a pretty cool choreography to this a section and then all of a sudden uh, about a minute in you're supposed to stop and slow dance you're supposed to stop stop and, <laughs> and grab your uh, your neighbor and just sort of rock back and, and forth it was, over, it and, was over was and over and over again. And it was
1: extremely jarring. They were terrible. The transitions were terrible. And this, The building back into A section was significantly better. Yeah, But yeah. that's that's still only putting it at an okay level. Th- this is like the third or fourth time that I've noticed
2: this, this pattern here. And I really think it speaks volumes of the songwriters. Is that they come up with ideas and at some point... In time, they're just confused about what to do with their ideas, they try to smack it together to the same song. And maybe, maybe they can force-feed it back into uh, the A section, force-feed the B section back into the A section, while sounding fairly natural, but they just can't come up from A to B. They think that jarring moment is something positive, and it's not. It doesn't work, and you can't accept that necessarily as the same song.
1: And this is one of the biggest culprits we've heard so far. Very.
2: I think my biggest problem with this song was, because I don't... (laughs) I have written down confusing
0: and conflicted because because they were so jarring and different like I i I just I couldn't even get a grasp on it and I loved the a so much I was getting into it i know it, it, uh, major lasers reggae singing and and, and it had a rap, were great. I, it,
1: no it had a great verse rap hip-hop reggae style yeah. not rap uh, more of a hip-hop reggae style of singing in the fast beats which was I love that yeah it was great Gwen can do it and uh, what's, uh, it was
0: Major Laser and I can't remember the other person featured, but it, there was two uh, male reggae singers featured with yeah. Gwen, and they were all able to keep a good flow and they and went that back, was enjoyable.
1: They started doing, especially towards the end of the song, they started going back and forth. It hard was hard. great. But the B-side was so, mm, so bleh. Just random noises erupting from my body. Uh, you know,
2: I'll, I'll even say that I think the B-section could have stood alone if it was uh, another song altogether they wanted to do that kind of slow dance junior high 80s track sure go ahead do it but don't you know i I, i'm gonna get a little preachy here i really think artists should be honest about what they're doing i think there is this this drive to be creative and to change it up for the sake of changing it up because uh you figure maybe the audience will get bored or something but if you have a good thing keep it going try to make the finished
1: product don't confuse apples and oranges i think the next track though does actually lend to they did it in Easy, it was... Um, More so. It was yes. it was much better transitions. This was the first song they truly were able to blend two sounds together. And this this combination was... Um, the verse had a very uh, Euro club techno beat back in it up. Something like simplistic Daft de- de- Punk or I, something like that. Something you would start as a bass when going to a club. And it I really would complicated.
2: however, say that they did lose the European... Uh, club sound over the course of the song. Well, they even kept... so, this is not 100 percent
1: perfect. But they blended it in with rock during the choruses, and they 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 it went blended through it together a more I fluid a... change. And I'll admit that. And they really did a good job on it. It was uh, yeah. one of the more fun to to uh, hang out. Like, I had, and to. I, I enjoyed the chorus
2: in this. I, I just still thought it was a little sporadic. Um, not so detrimentally. But, you know.
1: By comparison, by comparison it was gorgeous. Yes.
2: Perhaps after Push and Shove, you, you can accept this song very, very um, I actually easily.
1: Truthfully, I really like the way they blended the uh, synth beat with the rock beat. How they, they brought the two of them together and started bleeding them in, even in the various verses. Yeah, it was nice, actually.
0: There was more yeah. consistency in this song than the previous tracks. It was nice to have a, kind of a theme and follow straight through on the entire song. You know, they would go in and out with some... With, they had a strong breakdown and some other stuff, but it still stayed... They weren't trying at this point to mash up different songs. It was a consistent sound throughout, and that, that, that became more so as we go through the album from this point and where I kind of got hooked, m- more hooked on the album, at least for a few songs. Um, and Gravity is where they really stuck me, only because it was very much... For positive and negative, it was very much a shades of uh no doubt past with synth like they essentially were playing a kind of older no doubt style, but with useless synth in the background and that's kind of what really upset me about gravity is wow. that the synth in
2: gravity was unnecessary, and if they'd removed it, the the song would not really be changed much again. I am the newcomer to no doubt's discography, and you say for better or for worse, it was uh reminiscent of their old stuff, I would probably argue for worse. I think at this point the album really took a dive for me, because between this and the next track, Gravity and Undercover, I really felt it was the same generic pop track.
0: They were very similar. I mean, I don't even have different notes for both songs. Gravity and Undercover were pretty much the the same
2: same song. When I don't have anything to say, that's very bad. Yeah. That's going to drag it down.
1: Listenable, uninspiring, tired and forgettable. These are all my notes for... Gravity and Undercover The two songs just blended so close together I really didn't see much of a difference between the two They had very similar lyrics They had very similar beats They had very similar electronica and synth. Uh, along with real instruments. I mean, it was so... Mmm, so... The album took mm, a it. I'll save it.
2: I don't think it's bad. I think that if you're into this kind of stuff, and I, I do believe that this is going to appeal to a lot of people in a reminiscent kind of sense, perhaps not just people uh, attached to No Doubt's earlier work, but also people attached to 80s and 90s pop. I mean, that, that is a huge demographic, so I don't want to really exclude them, but it's going to... That's going to be reflected in my, my rating system. It's a take it or leave it kind of thing. Right. There's nothing... But- particular nothing nothing to hone in on
0: but i'll agree with you that f- you could do worse for pop music oh yeah sure you can like sure. this, no, this this was, is not badly at made at least you for, still
1: have her voice your yeah. voice still
2: shines <laughs> yes
1: i feel like we're gonna be prefacing for what it is prefacing. this is great prefacing prefacing oh uh, <laughs> i did it
2: Good.
1: for what it is for what this album has been so far we will it's, preface It's really very good Before your face. In its very specific niche. In its very specific niche, it's very good. But its very specific niche isn't a level of a very high level. A very high level of quality. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. I agree. We're not we're not we're saying So before your face we're saying Before your <laughs> face there was this No one's getting out of here alive, I swear. Um so but yeah
0: those 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 tracks were definitely a dip in the album but then we get to undone where we all kind of as a group kind of perked up and and i think the one word that will describe it undid the album in this way (laughs) yeah uh there was definitely a twang in this track it was definitely at its heart a country track very much so and uh you know it wasn't pure country there was still a little bit of of other stuff mixed in but it was definitely a very country track very slow and melodic and
1: it had pianos, it had violin, uh, long drawn out violin chords in the background with I nice love that. little I sucker great. for that. Violin, I,
0: mean, I feel like, always sweet, makes music you know, better. know,
1: uncomplicated, southern pa- of, uh, piano work going through it. Her voice, i uh, surprised how well Stefani's voice complements a southern uh, rock or Ooh, country I, music I, I really
2: did feel that uh, if, if I had no idea who she was, I'd assume that she was a real hit country artist. This honestly reminded me of a Faith Hill, yeah, Shania Twain. That's your the pop, first thing I said. Your, pop, your pop
0: country crossover, Leanne Rhymes, yeah. like any of those artists who th- who wrote that
2: line between pop and country. Yeah, and just to take it back a minute, I'm really glad you pointed out the file in. because I really those saw, long chords. That's which what I love so about. The Decemberists were... uses that a lot, and I'm well, am a big fan of the Decemberists, and I think they have a very distinctive style. They've they've invented their own brand of of, of country ballads. It's uh, not particularly country; it has a little bit of an Irish thing too. But it. it's more folk than than anything. But crossing that line, really, just trying to create your own sound within a sound, something that's that's recognizable but still really has nothing to compare it to. And I felt that she really did that here. Same with uh, Blue October, who's an
0: alternative band that they kind of. Dip into other genres using the violin, and they they strike emotions with those long chords. I mean, the song "The End" that yeah. I played for you, that I did a, a trigger track for, the violin added this frantic sound to it because of the quick strokes on it, and and I really think a violin really helps define the emotion emotionality of a song.
2: Yeah, the violin is a very just emotions. Violin is a very very flexible instrument, yes. and no one should be so. Uh, so naive to think that it's purely an orchestral instrument. It really lends itself to so many different genres in so many
1: different ways. That's why we have things like. Uh, Flowbots
0: use it too, actually. Yeah.
1: They used it in the. And it very much complemented those hip hop tracks, rocked. too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Punk monstrosity of uh, <laughs> that was just amazing, and my ears <laughs> cried for joy. But no, Undone, a few nitpicks on Undone. It was very predictable. Yeah, no, it wasn't, like, the thing it is... It wasn't ingenious, but it was beautiful.
2: Yeah, there, There's definitely better country out there, but she's trying her hand at this, uh, as far as we know, for the first time. Um, I don't think anybody else really knows of an older... I, I mean, she might have had songs
0: similar to it on her solo records, I can't remember, That's but... not something but she does frequently. No,
2: it's definitely not the typical
0: sound that they play. But, you I know... I should stop saying she, by the way, I should say the band, them, because, because... she's the only female member in the band. Yeah. The rest of the band are all guys. Her solo career is, is a whole different thing altogether.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was pretty. Even in spite of the country, I'm not a big country fan, but this is the sort of country music I will listen to.
2: Certainly, and I, I we promote this as a distinctive uh, in context of the album. I suppose in context of the genre as a whole, there are many country fans out there which might find this very generic. But in this
1: album, it, it really is, really stands out. It does stand out, out. Yeah. Um, and not in a negative way. No, it actually this is a this is a true track that I felt more of the tracks could have been like. Yeah, they
2: would have had a good thing if they went in this direction, I think.
0: And then the the next track after I'm done, Sparkle, I actually quite enjoyed because from the get Go on this track, you really got a sense of this kind of almost retrospective of no doubt sound as you listen to the song. They had horns in it. They had a little bit of reggae. They went back to a little bit of pop punk. They, ska. got Like you heard all these these shades of sounds that mixed really well together, and it it kind of made this colli- this I don't know if collaboration is the right word, but this definitely the sound that in this song, you know, you hear the name Sparkle. You prejudge a little, and you think it's going to be like some kind of bubbly Uh, pop song, uh, which was not until the next
2: song. We got bubblegum pop, but that was
0: on Heaven. But the the next track, but Sparkle, I thought was just a very good song. It wasn't very you know um, special, I'd say, or even out there. But it was just for for No Doubt song. I thought it was very a very good compliment. Oh, it was enjoyable.
1: Yeah, but it was almost like they were ripping off themselves. I felt like they were doing their own music just to be like oh. Here's our evolution, and they were playing it. Well, from what I've heard, from what I, from
2: what I've I've heard of early, no doubt, I could definitely see how this is a, a retro band, with. I mean, a retro song within their own work. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's really the, I don't think it's the end of the world to reference yourself earlier on, per se. But it's it was one of the better songs in the album, so I can't really criticize it for that. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. Definitely I mean, one of I mean, the better songs. And it yeah. also, honestly, it takes thought to cover yourself.
0: So to speak. I mean, there are bands who have done that yeah. before. We re-released albums covering themselves. And I mean, it does take thought and kind of a, a, an engineering to, to separate just, yourself from I mean, from I'm, I'm
2: going to reference this travesty uh, going back to our Green Day discussion and that week. <laughs> I, that was referencing yourself to... Uh, a, a fault. T- a, so much a fault. A tiresome degree. Yeah. And, a, and they simplified
0: themselves. Whereas this, no doubt, yeah. actually mixed it in a way that it was a little better.
1: No, I'm going to actually say that uh, Green Day was that simple back then. Oh, I, I was true. listening to their old music. Oh, that's true. They really are that simple. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but it's, that's more, it's got a nostalgia love to it because that was innovative for the time.
2: Yeah, but the point is it's a cop-out for their current level yes. of skill. Yes, whereas this still showcases, no doubt, talent, this song. Yeah. yeah. It's not a complete cop-out. Ska no. was original back then. So, oh, yeah. by, you know... By including that again, that's that's there's nothing simple about Sky. It is fun, I suppose. Um, a simple kind of relative term, I suppose. Like you know, none of these songs on this album are really inherently complex, but they are fun and they do take thought to 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 put together. Except for the cases where the verses don't match the choruses, but that's a whole thing altogether. Right. I'm just talking about the music itself. Moving on to track ten,
0: Heaven. This is your bubblegum pop song. This song was... i It could have been Tiffany. It could have been Robin Sparkles. It could have been... Like any of those... Robin pop, Sparkles. Pop, pop, uh, you know, 90s pop... Or or 90s or 80s pop hits.
1: Like, it just 19, fits in yeah, very well with this. Almost... Well, it would have been 90s in Canada, but 80s in the US. Right. Um, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. no offense to, to our
0: Canadian fans. Nah, that's this, a stab at How I Met Your Mother.
1: Okay, <laughs> Heaven was weird. It was reggae at a low combined with uh, the more simplistic side of pop rock. Remember? It was... It had another fade out. I uh, At this point, I was getting tired of No Doubt's fade out. In yeah, the we didn't mention yeah, this earlier, true. but there
0: were a handful of songs on the first half of the yeah. album that just faded out and in kind of awkward places, too. Yeah, their,
1: their, their songs had this... They, they almost tried to build to a crescendo and then let the crescendo go too far and then... Faded out.
2: And in my humble opinion, granted, it's just an opinion, fade outs are the kind of thing that should be really used sparingly. They have been overdone in the past, and I think they are best used in the case where you have a very very grand message, sort of. Such a powerful outro. That feels like it almost could go on forever. Something that speaks volumes of 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 the individual, of society, or something. You just feel like it's it's uh you know this is the Beatles did this several times. Yeah, and those songs are eternal in many ways. Hey Jude, I mean yeah, exactly. everybody
1: wants if you can make a song as popular as Hey Jude. Yeah, you're you know there. You're exactly. You're as good as Paul. And <laughs> they, these, everybody. These sees, songs were not. That. Yeah, they see Hey Jude and they see a you know minute and a half fade out. That's very repetitive, but it was different. It's an anthem. It should be used for anthem type work, or or something. This didn't quite have that sort of. uh, This this album never really hit those kinds of songs.
0: I just want to say, saying as popular as Hey Jude, use those words wisely, because depending on how we measure as popular, if we look at numbers, technically there are songs out now that are number one that are more popular than Hey Jude. I'm just saying. When we say more popular, we have to quantify that. If we're talking culturally, yes, then, then of course, Hey Jude's at okay. the, one of the pinnacles.
2: Then, all right, prediction. The songs in this album are not going to be sung for the next 40 years. Correct. <laughs> okay. All right. that, but that's, I'm just clarifying. I mean, I i make like okay. a fair ago. point, yeah. Matt, but that. but that is literally all we're saying. Nah, right. I understand. Culturally popular, okay. not necessarily top Sales. 40. And, right.
1: And we'll look at it this way we'll say nowadays, with an album selling. Uh, a million it would be the i would i would detest that in 1960s the equivalent would be selling 100 million albums i mean the the availability of music nowadays that's true
2: that's apple and orange. the
1: ability to create advertisements and to approach other individuals with music is is amazing by comparison the only way to hear a band like the beatles or elvis was through the radio or word of mouth. That's how you found new bands. Nowadays, if you watch TV for too long, you'll be introduced to five new genres of music. True. So... Fair point. I will say, even if they have a bigger popularity nowadays, Hey Jude was more popular in spite of what it was trying to accomplish. I mean, it was stacked. Okay. Well, this is... There's also a matter of
2: being critically acclaimed, too, and that, you know, critics can easily trash the top 40. Anyway... Getting back on track, though... (laughs) This is an important point to make, though, and I'm glad you brought it up. Yes. Yes,
0: That's why I mentioned it. Um, But going back to uh, now track 11, Dreaming the Same Dream, this song purely felt like Gwen Stefani trying to compete with Katy Perry. It was very much a standard, modern... Dance kind of pop song, you know. It was very. It was uh, throwaway.
1: Yeah, was it felt like that uh, alternative rock technoized
2: beat. I, I, I heard something else enter here, and I think it's a little bit of that the backdrop, the music, not necessarily her voice, but I, I heard a lot of um, again and, more of that '80s '80s arena stuff that that that, that U two this... work, the right. '80s synth work. That that's that's very present in this album. I think is no more defined than the, this track.
1: I felt the the it had the one. Two, one, two, two, one, two. That beat showed up huge here, and I. Th- that's when I realized that's the same beat over half these songs have had. I don't know what it, that was necessarily, but <laughs> I'll go dun, with you. Dun, 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 dun. Just that that dun, beat verbatim. Yeah, was I, was was president at, at least half the songs. It and it, it, that's when I realized. They seem to have been making and remaking and remaking. I didn't the notice same that necessarily. Over over again.
0: You know what, though, that beat, even though it shows up a lot in the other songs, it was showing up with the drummer still playing in the background, adding not, additional beats.
1: Not every time, especially not, with no, the reggae I'm not saying, stuff.
0: I'm not saying every time. I'm just saying that it wasn't as omnipresent in the album. I think as you think it might. Have. In uh, no reggae up stuff. No, no, no.
1: Point in, here. Um, I really felt it very strongly in the huh? first few tracks. And it was very strong in the more reggae and hip hop style beats they had in there. It was very.
2: Alright, well, first mm-hmm. of all, we've already established that reggae lends itself. There, there is a beat out there which defines the genre. And which might be a little bit of a thing I have against reggae. Don't get me wrong, it's fun to jam to, but I don't particularly. Li- uh, this is also another generalization. Uh, Rigaton. You know, that, that's a genre out there which is very much defined by a certain type of rhythm. Um. I like genres that are more flexible with the rhythms that they offer. But just to play reverse devil's advocate here, I think that on this album, and a lot of pop work, you will find that there are rhythms that that are embedded within the work and probably are... How to put this? It's simplistic if you break it down. But because of the stuff that you, that you overlay, I'm not necessarily going to criticize it just for repeating um, a certain rhythm over and over. Because... Rhythms are borrowed all the time. That's that's not really a... I don't think that's a detriment. Meh, uh, okay. <laughs> wow, sound more dejected, why don't you? In my, in my rambly he me, sense. No, no,
1: no, you put me in my place. It's...
2: Okay. It's alright, it's alright, really. You're right. It's
1: okay, it's alright. Um,
2: Moving on from... But no, that was A very good point.
1: No, that was dreaming the same dream. It yeah, was... It was, it was very, but, Very boring. But, but moving yeah. on
0: to, I think, might be, the more that I think about it, my favorite track on the album is the final track. Oh, wow. Stand and Deliver. Stand and Deliver I loved because it it reminded me of Older No Doubt. It was quirky. It was fun. It was, uh, was
2: more of an eye cross than Push and Shove. Yeah. It, it but, was a, but it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It was a ska Irish drinking song. Well, remember, as of yeah. Push and Shove, when my eyes crossed in the beginning for the catchy yeah. part, that was, good thing. Yeah, that was a good thing. Yeah, that's true. So, eyes, that, you know, something that takes you out of your... Out of the monotony. And, no, this... and I thought this was, uh, while the intro wasn't great, the close, I thought this was a
0: fantastic close to the record. Because it was just kind of quirky, all over the place, you had fun, it wrapped things up
1: a little bit, you know. And this was, yes, that's that's the key. There was an energy in this song that was missing from a lot of the albums. Yes. Which is a shame, because no doubt has, even their slow songs have an, uh, had a, have a, uh, a power to them, an energy to it. ...that was really missing from this album.
0: Yeah, there were only a handful of songs where yeah. I really felt anything. A lot of it was kind of left kind of empty and almost soulless. Not necessarily... Well, maybe not Not heartfelt. The yeah.
1: lack of the heartfelt you come yeah. to expect in uh, um, No Doubt, which is a problem that I find in pop. That's, that's one of my big issues with pop, because they don't feel that same sort of heartfeltness. But there was a couple of tracks on this album that did deliver...
0: Right, and that's why there are some pop artists that actually do resonate with me like Katy Perry Pink. They don't feel soulless. Their songs have, are very they heartfelt. Have,
1: they have an energy to it.
2: Stand and deliver. Delivered. And, Go figure. Yes, it. no, yeah, it was really it did. had
1: that power. It was still a pop slanted ska Irish drinking song. But that is a brand new genre. I'm coining it here. Um but the style of the
0: singing was very much Nightmare Before Christmas or like Rocky Horror. Very musical kind of talking, uh, yeah. <laughs> talking singing kind of thing. Like, no, it was the talking
1: talk, that went to the chorus. Like,
0: for, for the benefit of being Mr. Kite, you said it sounded very much yeah, like this, this is, kind this of This is shouting. the Mr. Kite of this album, yeah. if any. It, it was standing on a soapbox with a megaphone shouting the lyrics. Yeah, It,
1: it had that same quirky fun that uh, later half... Yeah. Benefit, for, if I'm not mistaken, benefit... For Mr. Kite. Was the... Uh, Side B intro for Sergeant Peppers, or maybe the side a outro, and it was that no ex- I have
2: a, I believe it was right before within you without you, which was the outro, and I believe it was right before that. I could be wrong, and it this felt would like be corrected at a later point
1: but I felt like that was the same point in this album
2: What's well, funny because this is the outro and, and I felt
1: like there was there should have been more to this album
2: yeah, there probably could have been something else after this. Or, or this, it could have been alternately placed, but then they would have had a weak outro. Hey, it just did a very funny thing. Nobody really expected this. When yeah, this when, when this came
0: on, we were all kind of caught off guard. But again,
2: in the end, I thought it was very fun and I enjoyed it.
0: And, and it reminded and, me of that no-doubt attitude that like, just to when point it's out, Funny
2: is known for. Just to point out the double standards here, you know, I, I I criticized a lot of other songs on this album for being sporadic in the way they structured their verses and their choruses and... Jump into a strange B section. You don't really know why it's there. Could have been a song of its own, and yet that worked in this song. It's strange how, if you speak something uh, sort of assertively, that it, it can act, you can get away with more things.
0: Well, also opinion. because in standard deliver, it was quirky from the moment you first heard the first note. You knew this song was
2: not going to be formulaic. It was not going to be. I mean, the same thing with the with the with the B section to this song as well. Like, right. It, it, it too was. Sporadic, it was different. But They really maintained the quirkiness in a
0: way And that's what I think linked it Whereas in a song like Push and Shove It was just
1: disconnected I think you had it with energy Yes, Energy is what sold it And that's why I was expecting this to be like Side A to B transition for the album It felt like I was being introduced To something new And then the album stopped
0: Yeah it would have been nice for there to be a couple, like maybe one or two more songs after this.
1: Though I don't see this song being anywhere but as the outro right. for the album as a whole. This was the only song that could have ended it. Yeah, because you needed to end strong. There was there was a not so, to, you need to end strong, weakness. so they
2: decided to end weird.
1: No, you, there was a weakness in the in a lot of their songs of its. Um, in this case, bad simplicity and uh, tried. Somewhat boring lyrics in a lot of their songs. Uh, generic beats, not very well designed, flowing from section to section. The album as a whole sort of had like a weak chin putting forward, but ended
2: strong. Yeah. It's interesting because, I, you know, as I said before, stand and deliver ended up delivering. And we also made a metaphor here for uh, the whole push and shove nature of this album. How there was a it lot of... pushes us into, you know, there's a lot of ebbs and flows here of... Various genres being overlaid on top of one another. It, it, it is a little bit all over the place. <laughs> I mean, all these... It's almost as if they knew. It, yeah. I have to wonder, because this is not the first time this has happened, but this is, of course, our, just our interpretation of it. Right. It's and they may... Comedic interpretation. No, well, I mean, it, it's definitely a possibility that we're reading into it more than the artists themselves plan to, but... Well, the issue is that if that's not the case, what is the case? Right. What does Push and Shelf mean in that case? I... I... We'll like have think, to judge this in some semblance of arc, and there's really none.
0: I, I'd like to think that this was done on purpose. I'd like to think that they're talented enough musicians that they wanted this kind of back and forth with the songs and with the choruses and verses. Um, whether we interpreted it exactly as they wanted, it, it's hard to say. But, but I definitely do believe that there was this kind of
2: push and shove. It's like that Bob Dylan quote. You just gotta believe it'll make sense. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's from like, the first episode,
1: isn't it? Or no, no, about. one of the first five, though. For, yeah.
0: Um, but getting back on track, um, to to kind of start wrapping things up with this album, um, I will say that as a no doubt fa- fan, I wasn't horribly disappointed. Which, if that's not a victory, I don't know what is. But uh,
1: yeah, considering the last few weeks, but with one good out of the last six, two good out of the last six that we really felt powerful for. Yeah, it was true. nice. This was a little bit different of an album. uh, than what we've been reviewing. This is definitely more of a pop-oriented album than we normally do. I have to say, uh, surprisingly, I enjoyed parts of it that I didn't think I would enjoy, especially that country song. Um, This was a great example of pop, I guess. Of pop rock and what it's become today it's
2: also a showcase of genres in some way
1: Yeah, but it was It's a great example of the way pop has influenced music I think is a great way to do it Because there's a lot of different genres But there's always an undercurrent of pop In all of their songs Yeah, definitely Which, for that, is admirable Because they took something that I've always said was terrible And a lot of us look down upon Especially on this podcast We really do look our nose down upon pop but they did it. While boring, they didn't hurt anything here. No, they in some, didn't. In some cases, and they I, actually I, helped the music. I
2: really do believe that this—that no doubt is—is is a band that's really just out to have fun in many ways. Can't really fault them for that either. Yeah, I think that this album definitely is the poster child for the median.
0: This is, to me, this was a three. It was a three straight through because I could take it or leave it. There are a bunch of songs in here I enjoyed. I'd probably still listen to the record again. Um but it's definitely not gonna change anything either. I think it's just it's a take it or leave it. Some people will like it, some people won't. If you're into mainstream pop and and you know, you like your fair share of that stuff. And even if you and I think if you're a no doubt fan who accepted Rocksteady, their last record, you'd probably like this one too.
1: I felt that this album actually did divert from the normal mainstream pop. I think this is gonna be a good album. For people that truly love that genre to listen to, because it's going to give them something different. There was a couple of differences in here with the reggae beats, with the the punk beats, with the ska beats that will introduce people to new albums. Personally, well, very generic, but it wasn't bad in the grand
2: scheme of things. It's not generic. Well, yes, see that, that I agree with that. I All definitely right. agree with that. See. Uh... Yeah, I think you're on to something there. It's it's the album as a whole really does showcase several different things. But it's hard to ignore the four or five tracks here which really did, you know, they were throwaways and I I can only accept them as throwaways. And those I don't think really uh aside from her voice, which is certainly admirable and and beats the beats the crap out of so many other pop singers out yes, there. Yes, there's
1: very few women singers in general yeah. I would really count on her level. Um, yeah but and yeah Gwen's great. I love her voice. I do yeah. not listen to no doubt or her personal stuff. But when I hear her sing it's it's
2: enjoyable. Yeah, but as I said outside of that there still are some songs here I'm not sure I can really give a pass to the um, glaring. Yeah. Glaring parts where you're just going that... They're the opposite of glaring and that's the problem.
1: Well, no, this and that don't go together and you put it together and it didn't work.
2: Not even that. That those are the other tracks. Those are the early tracks in the album. I, I'm talking to heaven. be honest, there were no differences in um in the sections between uh Easy, Gravity, uh Uncover. Actually, not so much easy. Gravity, Uncover, Heaven and Dreaming the Same Dream. It's those four tracks which I, I really I think I think hurt me a little bit. Too generic. Far too generic. No they're not they were not being um they were not being uh, inventive enough. They
1: weren't really putting their energy into it, yeah. which is that that's the problem. It's it's no doubt did something cool, but they didn't have the energy backing it to make it powerful. Yeah. Um, and they lost their, they had no Scott influence there. That was really just pure pop. Okay. Um, I'm going to give this a three. This is a very take it or leave it. And for me to give it a three is ringing endorsements. If you like pop, you'll love this album. That I must say.
2: Yeah. I I have to agree with you. Um, this is definitely a three. Her Her voice saves it. From being a two. Uh well, in the two range, I would never put it as low as a two. Uh there's there's they offer a lot of stuff here. Um yeah, no, I, I really think we've said all we can. This is definitely just a solid three. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Um if
0: you I definitely strongly recommend if you're a no doubt fan to check it out and or a pop fan to definitely check it out. Um and uh moving forward from that incredibly medium album review, um, <laughs> I know it pod, in podcast past, we have mentioned um, music influencing other mediums and... Mediums? Uh, Me- medium. Media. Me- oh. media. <laughs> no,
2: media. No, no, I, I mean... Cause oh, because I said medium We're before. on medium, so... Yeah. Um, we're still talking about medium, as much as music,
1: you like at all. Music's... Okay. Music's <laughs> interaction with the rest of the world. There yeah.
0: you go. <laughs> and uh, specifically talking about soundtracks versus scores and... Not necessarily verses, but soundtracks and scores and the movies and how they utilize music for better or for worse and how it can really sell a movie. Like my the most recent example and one of my fav- one of my favorite scores to come out recently is the series of Dark Knight movies, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises, all done by Hans Zimmer. Fantastic sweeping scores.
1: Gorgeous scores. Truly set the mood in the movies. And you saw an evolution. Of the music from movie to movie to movie, it did become more complicated and first first one was a little more self discovery style music. second one was a definite darker tone, and the third one was almost a bridge between the two yeah it was uh, the the scores are just incredible, and these are scores i'm a play devil's advocate I like him I call him good I don't call him great I'd like him. Okay, I like them. In the frame of reference of what movie they were saying and what they were doing, they were
2: great. In the frame of reference of Batman, we talk a lot about whether this this exudes the Batman vibe, whether it it speaks something to the actual action taking place. And I think that was better achieved, because Batman is a quirky character, you have to admit. In terms of most uh, superheroes, he is in many ways a parody of superheroes. Because he doesn't possess any powers of himself, so I think there's His a little, power there's is a little, money. yeah, and there's a little bit and, of comedy I think that goes with that, well, which is a, why it started. The, the canon starts out with the the campy Batman series of the '60s, and then they gradually got it more serious over time. But I think the best music to bring that quirkiness out was done by Danny
1: Elfman in in the Batman Returns. In like Batman Returns. Well, Batman Returns is also the only Batman movie I would put in the same theme as the newer stuff.
0: It's closer to the newer stuff than any of the others. Yeah, remember,
1: uh, but the do- Batman Forever with the 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 Adam West satire and Batman and Robin, which was a, just a travesty of motion pictures. And we're not even talking about that stuff. But even they compare, went too far with the crew. but Batman and Batman Returns. The original Batman wasn't that same level of darkness as Batman Returns was, which didn't hit the level of darkness that was representative in uh, the begin series.
2: Okay, but. Well, I don't want to get too much into the the story and the music. Here, the music reflected in my, between in my, those. In my opinion, I think uh, so you see Batman returns as dark. Yes. I don't think in in jest at best. Think about it. Really, the whole story behind the Penguin and everything. I mean, Danny <laughs> Danny DeVito is the Penguin. Which I feel actually, like there's, there's just some inherent comedy there. And in the there. Penguin,
0: in that version of the story, there was no comes from money, there was no... There was none of that. He came like, in the sewer.
2: Right, yeah. It was a, uh, a detraction from the actual Penguin story of where he was just a rich guy who... He was actually surrounded by, by a, a, an entourage of penguins. It was silly. I, 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 dark, well, okay. and this is why I love Danny Elfman's work because Danny Elfman, as a composer, just excels at that, and that's why. Way it back w- in our soundtrack discussion, this is why I put Beetlejuice up in the list because it was yes. comedic okay. macabre, yeah. and that is very similar to what was done in Batman Returns, and now, I think that best exemplifies f- the Batman canon. I
1: forget uh, what uh, <laughs> Beetlejuice was a score. Yes, yes, Beetlejuice oh. was a score. Okay, I mean just there were some the just checking because you uh, like to bring in scores that were actually compositions, and actual just soundtracks. No, no, tracks. There, there, there are some that are they're a little bit of
2: mixed, and the, the one big song was the Harry Belafonte song and yes. the most memorable scene from yes. Beetlejuice when the, the seance scene. But no, the rest was was largely Danny Elfman. Yeah,
1: and uh, well, honestly,
0: you know, for me, one of the greatest examples of showing how memorable scores can be is an experience I had with Steve where I played him. Uh, the Danny Elfman uh, soundtrack for Spider-Man Two, the Doc Ock suite when Doc Ock robs the bank and he first walks in claw after claw and it's just, just build 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 and these heavy notes and dun, dun, dun. And, as yeah, as and, it, and as soon as I what, played see, it and as soon as I played it, Steve
2: immediately remembered the scene from the movie and that's and I what think a that's a good that's a good example. Yeah. Uh, but, but to be honest, I guess this is why I started playing Devil's Advocate is that I I merely call it uh, the the Dark Knight scores good. Because I don't think that, looking back on it, I may have to struggle to remember exactly which 2000, 2010 era action or superhero film it was. I oh, might have start, to struggle.
1: You're saying they're starting to blend
2: together a little bit? Yeah, I think, you they're, don't have I, I think, think. they're using some, some very common action or superhero motifs. There's uh, a lot that go with that.
1: Actually, no, an, an excellent example of that. Um, not a movie, but also a score. Uh, the Halo trilogy, and plus with all the other games, brought back Gregorian chant, did something <laughs> weird with Gregorian chant and orchestra music, um, in fact actually parodied themselves in the later Halo uh, video games by changing it just from you know violin work to guitar work, electric guitar, and doing all sorts of things like that. Yeah. But they created this overwhelming composition in a video game, mm-hmm. which had only truly been done... Um, by one series, the Final Fantasy series, uh, previously. They were probably the first. Yeah, they were the first. Halo was the one that popularized well, composition. I'd say that Final
2: Fantasy was the. F-
0: the Final Fantasy series and Square and Square at the time, their spin offs, Chrono Trigger, all that stuff that were within that realm, they took uh, synthesized MIDI sounds to its limits. Yes. And created sweeping scores using keyboards, essentially. And that's not something that wasn't done a lot. Because, I mean,. If we're going to talk about video games, you know, the Mario theme is just as memorable as the Final Fantasy theme, but it's not
1: as sweeping and as yes. large a scale. The, the 8-bit Mario theme, which has been reproduced by Nintendo and a huge variety of fans. Um, but that, that, that video game theme also set, set a tone for a generation, but I think Halo has done the same thing, not just with in parallels with movies have done. How we're starting to get in specific genres of music, movies, very similar music. Ever yeah, since yeah. Halo did that composition, composed opening theme, and their entire soundtrack for the first game uh, was uh, com- composition, was scores. Um, a lot of people in a lot of video game and movies have been replicating that.
2: Yeah, I think I'm starting to see where your point was yeah. wrapping around yeah. there, and that's I mean, um, that's pretty much what my my point is. Yeah. No, Um, I can agree with that. I mean, I I really... It's something I
0: notice. I really like... I guess for me, because I'm such a big Batman fan, and I also like those movies, the new Dark Knight movies so much, I can tell the difference, but I can understand where you're coming from and what you're saying. I
2: understand that. I suppose I'm just speaking in terms of, you know, the... You you do have to pay attention to the type of story you're telling. Right. Um, And I... Not every form of grand battle music fits, uh, you know every story no you're right and and, but but it's popular it's popular and it does you know kind of make your heart rattle a little bit what makes you sort of shaking your seat but i just don't think it always works but
0: just right well and just the same and i said this when we did i'm almost positive i said this when we had our soundtrack conversation um uh, a movie that took actual music and used it very well to tell emotional states as if it were a score was a scott pilgrim scott pilgrim took actual songs but use them for these big epic battles in the in the movie and it still told the same story as if it were this sweeping score because it made you feel these emotions and relate to these characters within these scenes and the songs are very memorable you listen to that soundtrack you can almost see by scene picture of the movie and another
1: another soundtrack which was actually both it was scores and songs was the matrix the original matrix had a combination of both original music with uh, uh, music produced by other it bands, did. And, that,
2: and that proves you can still do epic. And on, it was it was census, including metal music. That was probably the first to do that. Yeah, and it mean, was a
1: completely different type of epic for its time. Yeah. But so many people are copying. That sort of uh, uh, sound. I'm yeah. going to even just step away from music for,
2: for one second and say that, you know, whenever anything is popular or, or whenever anything hits it big with one film or, or one piece of music, it does tend to be copied in general. But people have to make the distinction as to where it originally came from. Uh, like, for instance, another back to the Matrix. Think about how many people have, have copied uh, that slow style of yeah, exactly, yeah, slow the slow motion rotating. choreography. Uh, games slow, too. Video slow, games have done it too. The slow kick, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it that in and of itself, Matrix in and of itself was actually a uh, anime. It was a Japanese style kung fu movie.
0: Yeah, that was but made in, for American life,
1: made for American ob- audiences with a grunge. But what theme. was it done with? That aesthetic. Yes. Yeah. Actually, it's done with a very. If you look idea. at some... the slow the mo and everything. Yeah. The the slow mo they invented the slow mo pan around uh, camera work was invented essentially for that movie. It's used in the NFL nowadays. I mean it's ridiculous what they they're doing with what the Matrix did. The in- innovative
2: film styles. I'll even throw something else out there. Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. You know, used came came out very very shortly after The Matrix and used much the same style of, of slow-mo uh, or rather used a lot of the you know, the strings that, that to hoist you up as you're like running up the tree and well, everything. And that was promoted so much for itself while I feel that it was invented more so by The Matrix. I feel like that movie could not have hit it
1: quite as big if it wasn't for The Matrix but prefacing the, it. But yeah. The Matrix didn't invent it. That had already been being used. Uh, I mean, that style, the fight scenes, everything, but it the way was it was, it was, was choreographed. To, but it was new to America. It was a new, new to America, to America, America. mainstream style
2: movie. Uh, a lot movies. of Japanese influence that came yes. after that was, point specifically. Yeah,
1: But yeah, no, it was based off of Japanese animation and Japanese movies.
2: Yeah,
0: it had that, and especially in the, it culminated in the third movie. But that had, had it ever been done
1: live action? Yes,
2: in, in Japan. Japan, Japanese live action, really? Yes, but
1: so you got to remember the 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 people who who do Japanese live action tend to actually be able to do the kicks and punches mm. they were trying to replicate in the Matrix. Right. They actually they don't have to use the strings because well, they can jump.
2: Be, well, I'm I'm just trying to point out cheap shots that can be done in in both choreography, directing style and of course music, which is why I guess I sort of protested when certain movies get get hailed as much as they do. I I got to go back to the core sort of. Yeah, but I still think that The Matrix is a movie, especially I mean Rage Against the Machines wake
0: up. Rage Against the Machine had a career before that. They weren't unknown before that. But they got they, that movie pushed them to a whole new level, especially with that song cuz it was everywhere because it was just that one of those rock songs that you just
2: couldn't help but get caught up in every time you heard it. Yeah, no, I I get that. But then it
1: also occurred several other places out throughout the 2000s sort of. And I find a lot of albums not uh not albums, a lot of sound uh soundtracks that use a lot of songs I love that did not gain popularity because like the perfect example uh you and I both loved Eternal Sunshine. There you go. Because of the soundtrack. And the Eternal Sunshine soundtrack was, brought it to life. And uh, it was an indie film. Or a mostly indie film. Yes, yeah, semi-indie. Um, that really, the soundtrack was just perfect for the film. And it was an incredible film. And nobody really liked it. Yeah. It, it did terrible in the box office by comparison to what was out at the it, time. It was a movie that required a little bit more thought than the average film out there,
2: because you need to follow the chronology, the awkward chronology of the film. But
1: and there's a lot of the films like that. It's way their, to tell a story. There's a lot of films that, have, that use their musical score and musical soundtrack the way Eternal Sunshine did, uh, where it's, it, it sets up the scenes and it tells the story as much as the dialogue and visual information is telling, which for Eternal Sunshine was very representative of what it was doing. Exactly. There's a lot of lot of movies out there that really are just as good, if not better, than *A Turtle Sunshine*. I just don't like it as much. Um, they do it the same way, but once again, don't get that same recognition. They 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 don't get they don't get loved the same way.
2: They don't all have Jim that, Carrey. <laughs> well, no, it's.
1: I'm not even gonna say it was great seeing Jim Carrey do you know, a serious role. It was I, awesome. I actually think he did an excellent job in the film. But, um, the film. The music really drove that film. Uh, Beck, yeah, wow, Beck. That was
2: a p- perfect choice. In Actually, Beck that's that linked to Scott Pilgrim. He wrote <laughs> all of the Sex Bomb songs yeah. for Scott Pilgrim. He wrote, but uh, but <laughs> he's for a- all of. And this is why I like this whole fusion business because uh, fusion between soundtrack and score is because it, you put in a Beck song and that really brings you know. It brings a lot of individuality to it, because think about what we're all this is the modern culture for the past past thirty forty years is we have these songs that we in our in our music libraries we treasure them, we link them to relationships to all sorts of things going on in our lives so to bring the, to to showcase that on film is a really powerful thing. It makes you relate with the character and so forth. but I don't think that a soundtrack that just has uh songs like that is necessarily as cohesive. It's almost a cheap shot because they do it for character, character to character. But what about the cohesion? So that's why in Eternal Sunshine, uh, John Bryan composed a lot of the musical interludes. The interlude between from scene to scene that really showcased the story, the overall story going on. And I, that's what hit it big.
1: I think there's one, I, there's a, a movie I love uh, that I think I want you to watch because I think you'll love the soundtrack, and that is Garden State. Oh, God. <laughs> I've, Zach Braff. I've heard a lot about
2: this film. It's, well, it. it's
1: a It's a ages. It's a full indie film. It was written, starred and directed by Zach Braff, I believe. From Scrubs. Yeah. Yep. And it featured uh, Natalie Portman as the uh, his number one opposite. It was it was basically the story of the two of them and how they came to be. And it had an incredible s- soundtrack to it. Heartthrob for many it- Teenage Girl from Jersey, but yes. It was a very <laughs> simplistic movie in its scene work and its acting, though. Like, it was very down-key, and the music's told a lot of the story. And um, a lot of indie stuff. A lot of very small bands, too. It was great. It's well, interesting. Well, and well, another movie, if you haven't seen it, Royal Tenenbaums.
2: See, I'm glad you mentioned that, because... Well, actually, that's the one I have not seen by Wes Anderson. Oh, that's but West great and- Wes Anderson, as a whole, I think, is... Uh, he's one of my favorite... Current directors in terms of his indie style was it a little bit off the beaten track, granted. But he did a Rushmore, Life Aquatic, Life Aquatic, yeah. Aquatic, Aquatic was yeah. Rushmore. But also,
0: his newest one was a uh, Moonrise Kingdom, right? Moonrise that was like, Kingdom,
2: yep. Which and, I uh, actually have not seen. Yeah, Rushmore was actually another one on my on my top ten soundtrack yeah, that, that list. That was fantastic. I think Royal Tenenbaums might
1: dethrone that. I like. Yeah, it was Royal Rushmore was very good.
0: One of Gene Hackman's and,
1: best movies, in my opinion. And, and the whole mm. the whole thing. Uh what's his name? I can't think of his name now. Wes Director an- Wes, Anderson. Wes, Anderson. Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Incredible understanding of music in devoting it and in creating a scene through music and creating a scene through soundtrack. A movie through soundtrack. He does an incredible job in his movies. I didn't actually particularly enjoy The Life Aquatic, but I think the soundtrack was great.
0: No, oh, yeah. Uh, and also a cool thing that we're kind of seeing now in this kind of modern age of making movies and and music in movies, and music and games, is that there's a lot of crossover between artistry, like, my favorite example is, and it's a movie I still haven't seen, which I've been meaning to, I just haven't sat down and watched it, but The Social Network, the entire soundtrack yeah. was composed by Trent Reznor, a popular musician who created Nine Inch Nails, and wrote almost everything for Nine Inch Nails, and wrote this great soundtrack for this movie, I'm told, and he's someone who's been doing rock for so long and now he does the soundtrack for, for yeah, a movie.
1: The, the soundtrack was actually had n- almost no rock in it. Yeah. Which is weird. I did enjoy the movie. Um, it was a very fantastical story. I really, honestly, as far as Facebook goes, whether or not it was actually anything at all like that, I don't know. It was mostly to be a wow factor. But the, 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 the acting itself was incredible during the movie. And the soundtrack did complement it. But that movie also had a lot of acting... It was acting-oriented. Or it was dialogue-oriented. It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, Life Aquatic or uh, Eternal Sunshine. Almost acting, scenery, and music combination. Like all three of them get very well complemented and equal weight in its the designing. This movie. They wanted to have music that complements scene, not a scene with complementary music. But each of them were given specific thought. And especially um, Garden State, which is – got to see it, Steve. The most (laughs) powerful scene in the entire movie is one of the only scenes that is truly devoid of music. And that in and of itself is the – it was perfectly done. Space is a very, very powerful
2: thing to be used – if it's used appropriately because it's it's a jarring thing. When you hear silence – that's really going to grab you if you if you're accustomed to hearing this this general background sound then the silence is really what's going to bring out the most serious moments in a film. Uh there's a lot of films that that do that but not always so well that the the writing of the film doesn't always uh doesn't always match the the atmosphere that they're trying to create. But when done well, it can be
1: uh it can be fantastic. And when done poorly, you get a movie like Prometheus where it's The noise noise is so terrible. Too
2: big for its britches,
1: in my
0: opinion. Yeah, the music and soundtrack was very disjointed from the 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 actual film film. work. I mean, there were moments where the soundtrack... Its it's britches were too big for it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there were moments that I enjoyed in the movie, and there were parts of the score that were very good, but as a whole, it just didn't connect very well. And
1: that's that's a perfect example of a new movie that really did not line up musically with the rest of it. I agree. Or, um, I actually thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It's a very guilty pleasure, but... Uh, the Expendables 2. I didn't see it. The music was explosions. I mean, that's a movie that didn't even really have music. And I do remember songs from it. Like, the songs were so out of place in the actual action and storyline being driven in that that uh, 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 movie. It was like they were just doing these classic rock-style songs just because they wanted to pretend everybody was really old. Yeah. And that was the worst part of that movie. Yeah was how disjointed the, the dialogue and the action and the music were together. Right. And it was, it was bad. But I did see lots of things blow up, so I enjoyed it.
0: Obviously.
2: <laughs> I'll be trying, I think, when we get deeper into soundtracks, and eventually, uh, ideally, we feature a soundtrack at some point, yeah. uh, I, I would love to choose something that has more of the blend of, of both sides of the tape. I agree. The well, soundtrack and score. Let's go back, Rushmore, because I still put that in that category. It was Mark Mothersbaugh that... that uh, really tied that together the same way John Bryan tied together Eternal Sunshine. Right. Well, and it's just uh, like, um, but you know, there's other things too. There's songs by John Lennon, uh, Cat Stevens, The Kinks.
0: And I mean, also we just dis- we discussed
2: before, like uh, a movie like Back to the Future had a mix of both. It had <laughs> well, that's even that's almost a different animal altogether because in many ways you could consider Huey Louis Huey Lewis <laughs> Huey <laughs> say Lewis, Huey Lewis
0: a composer for it, the soundtrack.
2: It, yeah, in many ways because uh, yeah. it's so synonymous. Yeah. People associate him, and he has a career of his own, but. People associate that with the film.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well, nice discussion. I didn't. This was probably one of the more enjoyable ones for me. <laughs> I'd like this one. Yeah. we got to right. come back to this. In fact, we're probably going to come back yeah, to this. Yeah, well, I would definitely have podcast in the future where we feature movies. Mostly because I'm actually... Forget about movies. I'm going to be doing a, a, a video game soundtrack soon. I know I'm going to. I'm going to find a video game soundtrack for a video game that Steve has no association with. Because he doesn't play... Well, Stormer and I actually do play a lot of videos. Oh, I got a few that I, I would whip Yeah, up. there's a few, but by, by volume you're going to come close to what I do. But I think I... I no, think
2: no, 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 not that I play. I mean that there's a few that I would promote in terms of their soundtracks. I, think, I might surprise you.
1: I think I could find a few soundtracks that you will thoroughly love. All right. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> I'll return that. But speaking of what we will be doing, next week is my choice. I received a suggestion from my girlfriend. To I, I posted this question to her. Give me something pop I can enjoy, and she thought about it, and she gave me the name of a band, The Script, and their new, newest album called Number Three. This band has been described to me as an Irish indie pop rock album uh, uh, band, and uh, this is a very popular UK band. And even has hit uh, US Billboard number three on the top 200. So they, these guys have got some staying power. But this is going to be a band that n- none of us here really know. At all. So it's going to be next week, number three by the script. So that, that's. This is going to be a fun one. This should be very interesting. It,
0: it'll be nice to jump in kind of headfirst as a group. Uh, on this one,
2: so it sh- it should definitely be interesting. because yeah, no doubt isn't necessarily associated as pop. So even though we call this a pop album per se, our first true pop album will be next week.
1: Actually, no, that's the whole thing. This is Irish rock pop indie. Huh. Oh, okay. It's, it's a, a it's, different. It's British. I mean, and Irish and UK <laughs> all over it. I mean, this it's, is it's British. This we is can also take that with be, all the liberties there This is also going to be the first album that we do that's really uh, completely foreign from the US. These guys have made their chops in the UK. Oh, so did Muse. Yeah, yeah, but Muse has hit critical level also in the US. Yeah, these guys haven't yet. These guys are very underground by comparison.
2: So, for all we know, we could be instrumental in uh, bringing these guys over. Granted, they also did soundtracks from 90210, all sorts of stuff like that. Maybe we can feature them on Ed Sullivan, that's still around, right? (laughs) Right, totally, let's not date ourselves a little bit. Um... (laughs) Uh, in closing, of
0: course, guys, uh, we look forward to your uh, comments, questions, suggestions for reviews. Um, we always appreciate anything you can do as far as donations. Um, we want to make this podcast better. So if you donate, we will definitely give you a shout out on the podcast. And and we'll be very appreciative and make steps to make this, this uh, an even better program for you. Um, please find us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, look for us. Um, of course on our website on iTunes, um, I understand there is an issue with the iTunes only showing the 10 most recent episodes. I'm still working to fix it. Um, and I will keep you guys posted on that, but you can always find all of our podcasts on our website, crashchords.com, email crashchordsblog at gmail.com. And as always, music is life and life is good.